into positions of hopelessness and helplessness. The government gives them the drugs, builds bigger prisons, passes a three-strike law, and then wants us to sing God Bless America. No, no, no. Not God Bless America. God damn America. That's in the Bible for killing innocent people. God damn America for treating us citizens as less than human. God damn America. As long as she tries to act like she is God and she is supreme. Not to take you down, but to keep you looking up. Why am I telling you this? Why am I telling you this? Hello, I'm Bill Clinton. Hi, I'm Chelsea Clinton. And welcome to Why Am I Telling You This, our Clinton Foundation podcast. Growing up in Arkansas just after World War II in a family that didn't have a lot of money, most of our entertainment revolved around storytelling. Listening to my relatives and neighbors around the kitchen table or at my grandfather's store led me to believe that everyone has a story. And that everyone's story. Why am I telling you this? You guys have good, I don't know if I have a good Bill Clinton. Is that okay? I don't know. I used to. That's a, years of economic growth. That's a passable Bill Clinton. Passable. That's, it lives <laughs> in. I mean, he, he's been done like so much since like the 90s that you can do something that doesn't even resemble his voice. Great. It's like, <laughs> that's, oh, that's awesome. Clinton. My best impression of him, I can only get the three words that he's quoted at from the Star Report after he puts the cigar in the hey hey, <laughs> takes a puff. It tastes good. It tastes good. <laughs> Is that what he said? <laughs> we did a whole fucking bit on the analingus and the star yeah, report. Like, oh my god! Wait, so that was that's in there. That's really real. Yeah. I didn't know. I th- I was like, he was looking that up in real time, and she's like, "Holy shit, it's really real." Who Analingus. went down on who? We don't know. It, it was unclear who who <laughs> only the asked. CIA knows. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're hoping uh, it was a mutual. It was like an ass-eating sixty-nine. Which, <laughs> You gotta be limber, but you know, she was a young intern, so. Yeah, you gotta have a well, long uh, neck for that. I can't believe I'm telling you this, but it should be more called the uh, Starfish Report. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was thinking, like the Limp Biscuit album. I, I hate that Limp Biscuit is the first thing I thought of when you said yeah. chocolate starfish. Uh, <laughs> um, the dream of the 90s. The fucking. <laughs> I'll put the audio in at the beginning of this, but there's. Yeah, so uh, hello, everyone. Um. If you're listening to this, put the put your he- throw your headphones down and run as fast as you can to uh, listen to a much a far superior podcast, the Bill Clinton and Chelsea Clinton <laughs> podcast entitled "Why am Why am I telling you this?" It's why got telling you this. It's got a hook line like a road comic, like a fucking. Um, blue collar comedy sort of thing they keep going like and that's why the cable guy (laughs) why am i telling you this (laughs) it's really fucking weird that the former president of the united states has got this podcast that like the premise of it what what does that even mean why am i telling you this he says and in the little promo thing they they play clips of his speeches where says no why am i telling you this and that's a refrain he has a lot over because he has these like wind up explanation and this is i think i don't think he could get elected in 2020 because he does because he takes so long to give and famously he was uh uh almost booed at the 1988 convention because his speech went on so long and then he got an applause line when he said in conclusion and they're like fine <laughs> so he is a windbag and he doesn't have any real ideas other than like doing all these things that go against the democratic coalition like cutting social security uh so he he will give these like 
these long and boring speeches and and say, no, why am I telling you this? But he does it in like a, sort of his compelling way, and he'll he'll set up little scenarios that he gives the audience with, why am I telling you this? Yeah, well, he's very, he was very much a uh, anecdotal pol- politician, yeah. right? I mean, it's the entire uh, idea of Bill Clinton is Hope Arkansas, right? He's got an uh, alcoholic father who leaves the family. He comes up from nothing. He's got all these stories about um, the time he went back and, uh, you know, signed the death warrant of a uh, mentally handicapped guy while he was running. Oh, wait, no, no. He, he, did, he has all sorts of stories about, <laughs> I, met, I met a woman. What, what, what does he say? Uh, I do imagine part of his early stories that he just killed a man in the swamp and didn't tell anyone about it. <laughs> yeah, which is what, if you listen to the promo we did, oh, there's the this. little violin music that makes it sound like a serial murder podcast. Yeah, that's <laughs> immediately so- what I thought. It's like, oh, another murder podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Those are very popular. It yeah, I mean, well. it's smart. <laughs> yeah. They actually, they could probably get a solid base going off of that. They could, and maybe that'll be like a continuation of that stupid book he wrote where it's like, the president is, uh, doesn't the president have to kill somebody or whatever, and that... They, he wrote a book with oh, James yeah, yeah. Patterson. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's weird that they're just making fan fiction now. That's actually what you're saying, though, about his his catchphrase, why am I telling you this? That makes so much sense because he was thought of as this, like, sort of slick orator. Yeah. And, like, you know, thought of as a, as a, as a great orator, but also as, like, a trick, you know, you know tr- fucking slick willy slick willy um as being someone who's able to manipulate the story they're telling and actually i feel weird about this because when you were explaining that like how he goes all the way around about to get to now here's what i'm telling you this i think i think the same way as a comic (laughs) but that's because when you're telling a joke or you're telling like a fucking story and there's got to be a twist to it you fucking set up a bunch of shit and i always get the reason i do stand up is because i would get so pissed off trying to tell a story at like a party but everyone's fucking drunk and cuts you off and you're like no that was going somewhere (laughs) and then i'm in the corner and i'm like i was supposed to get to the part where i'm like this is why why, why, why am i telling you this yeah (laughs) and then then, but then i started doing stand-up whereas bill clinton then went and you know, into politics and uh, killed a bunch of people or whatever. Well, to go yeah. back to what uh, Anders said before, and by the way, it's a pleasure to be potting with you for the first time. Likewise. Um, the, uh, if I was trying to, to rack my brain about, cause I lived through the nineties as we all did. And I was like, you know, I had a political consciousness at that time. And I tried to look back and think of one single thing that Bill Clinton did as the president for those eight years that I support. And I could not find a single one. I couldn't do it. What, what do you have anything? I like that when he what killed that mentally ill man. Okay. Right. <laughs> he wasn't president yet. He wasn't president yet. No, no, never mind. It doesn't count. <laughs> the minimum wage went up despite his best efforts. Yeah. Uh, okay. I think he adds a little bit, a couple of bucks thrown to AmeriCorps. AmeriCorps, um, yeah. But that's really it. Yeah. He had uh, he had a tax uh, a tax hike. That's right. Uh, yeah. That, yeah. Uh, but it was, I think, pretty spread out, although it did go more to the rich. However, he very quickly pivoted to the uh, deficit shit uh, yeah. after 94, I believe. Right? He started talking about deficits, 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 which is very much the right wing slash neoliberal you know, uh, consensus conception right. of things. Yeah. I, I, which, yeah, at the time they thought would be this historical era defining achievement of a balanced budget. 
balanced uh, budget. Which, in all fairness, has not really happened in American history that often because it just doesn't fucking no, it's matter. Absurd. It does nothing it unless did, you're like did. a creditor. Yeah, I mean, especially if you have, like, the uh, global reserve currency like the United States does. Yeah. I mean, we've seen over the last fucking eight, nine years that deficits do not matter at all. <laughs> how much, how many fucking treasury bills does uh, China have? How many trillions of dollars worth of U.S. debt? doesn't matter. It's, it's a completely a uh, right-wing talking point. And Bill Clinton, you know, back to the anecdotal shit and the slick willy shit, the, the, the reason why he was such a great politician, and this is true, I think, also of Obama, and this is what they're betting on with fucking Biden, too, is that he's able, of course, to triangulate and sell these things with slick oratory. Yeah. Biden's not a slick orator, but he's got that aw shucks sort of Clinton thing where he's like, uh, yeah. yeah, you know? He's also got the sexual harassment thing, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> which is the other thing that I like that he did. I knew Obama was missing something from, from his presidency. Yeah. <laughs> he wasn't creepy enough to win. <laughs> well, it's funny because I, I brought up Social Security either in, or but, earlier. Clinton actually did not cut Social Security. Oh, thanks, and Monica. Neither did Obama. <laughs> exactly. Monica obstructed his ability to pass that, to get that done. And then McConnell under Obama, because they were like just saying no to absolutely everything right. the White House wanted to do, even it, when, when it was their shit. Uh, thanks to those two, uh, Social Security still rock solid. Despite uh, the best intentions of our two last Democratic presidents, <laughs> yeah. we still have a bit of a social safety net. Not much, but uh, it's there. So thank the cigar, uh, uh, Monica Lewinsky's cigar, and thank, uh, I guess, Mitch McConnell, right? Yeah. Shout out to Mitch. Um, Big Mitch. Turtle boy. Cocaine Mitch. Well, I, so this is kind of an interesting uh, group for us to be talking about electoral politics because, I mean, you know, I think Andrews is our resident sort of electoral guy. Uh, definitely knows a lot more about this, the inner workings of this stuff than me. And then, I mean, yourself, Sean, an anarchist. By the way, I'm uh, not an anarchist. Thank you very much. Okay. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, I'm adjacent, but yeah. Sure, sure, sure. I don't, don't want to get your exact tendency wrong. <laughs> I don't want to miss tendency. You. Miss ten <laughs> <laughs> if you guys want to talk tendencies, uh, you're going to be here for a while. It's complicated. Yeah. Um, oh, by the way, I guess we should intro all of us. I'm Jake Flores. This is Andrews Lee. Andrews Lee here. Sean KB. Hey, I'm Sean Fogger. KB. What's up? Hey. Um, I don't know. I mean, are you... A, do you pay attention to, like, the fucking 2020 race? And, like, do you have a, a big dog in this fight? Oh, God. Uh, you're asking me if I care about 2020. Um, I like electoral politics. Like, I know a lot of people sort of check, you know, are of the opinion that it, it either doesn't matter at all or is not, like... You know, it can't be the singular thing um, or some combination or varying you know, degree of. Or the, yeah, I have a nuanced uh, position on this, uh, but uh, to answer your direct question, am I interested in it? I, I am uh, to the extent that, uh, you know, I do read the news every day. And obviously, I don't think elections are completely unimportant. I think they are meaningful um, for our lives and for this world. Um, I have to say that. Uh, this 2020 race, this uh, quadrennial spectacle beginning so early, and plus the uh, complete buffoonery right now of American politics, I read the news all the time, but I cannot get exercised about anything that's happening, including the supposed constitutional crisis we're in right now. So 
you know, in terms of the day to day, like, yeah, I glimpse it, but it's not like, you know, under Obama, when I'd be looking at the political news to see, you know, what sort of ways he, he was triangulating himself, you know, or the, the inner workings of Congress, you know, or the national security state, um, or even under Clinton, like at the, or Bush, I should say with like the national security shit, nothing under Trump seems to fucking matter right now. It's just, and it's completely uninteresting to me because it's just one man's narcissism and ego. And I w- I'm happy to talk about 2020. I, I think in general, I'd like to wait at least six to 12 months because we're 20 <laughs> months out at this point. But yeah. that's where I'm at in terms of following it. Right. I, th- I mean, I'm like a, a lot of people in that I got hooked into politics for, uh, because of the theater, um, the, the dynamics, the, po- the personalities, the, all that stuff, which, yeah, it doesn't ultimately it doesn't matter what's important or ideas. And, and that's where it led me to eventually. Uh, but I totally get where people like will dismiss that rightly so but i think it is like kind of a way to hook people in and um yeah unfortunately it does to some extent uh it does matter when when you do have a candidate who you think can enact change um i think like at this moment uh i have no qualms about you know refreshing the google news about bernie sanders to see which thing he said today um but yeah at the end of the day it's about ideas material forces dialectics yeah i guess that's kind of where i'm at where like uh, the only reason that it is particularly interesting to me right now is because there's like this factor of bernie that might yeah. possibly change yeah, something i agree with that a lot of, like if if that wasn't really the case and this was you know we were in like a, you know one of the last few elections it would all feel sort of way more in the abstract and away from anything that you had any like tangible grasp on or right. anything that's what i i guess what i was trying to say is like i before bernie sanders started running the pres for president i was embarrassed to know things like who uh mitch mcconnell is <laughs> or what you know like that stuff with the the theater aspect of it i i wouldn't tell my leftist friends but now that it's these two worlds are kind of overlapping a little bit and you actually have uh something approaching marxism on a national stage like um to me it's really exciting but i totally get what people from a further left perspective are like this is a waste of time i'd say on the on the bernie tip i agree 100 percent. that's the only interesting thing about the uh upcoming primaries and then election and the only thing really um, that excites me about Bernie is, uh, I shouldn't say the only thing, but um, the most exciting thing about Bernie is what social forces he represents yeah. and also what will be the consequences for those social forces, and by that I mean the working class, if and when he were to get elected. Uh, the reason why Bernie is different from, say, even Elizabeth Warren, and I convinced Hamilton Nolan of this on the Antifada, I'm quite proud of myself, <laughs> is that... Uh, Uh, Elizabeth Warren is a great technocrat. She's not a great politician. I don't think she's going to make it very far, right? But she has all these ideas, you know, break up the banks, you know, raise the minimum wage, yada, yada, yada. Right, you know, a, a weird think piece about Game of Thrones for some reason? Yeah, sure. You know, <laughs> she's, she's, a, she's a real uh, wonk when it comes to Westeros and uh, the United States uh, government. But, like, um, I think what's important about Bernie is um, for the first time in several generations, we will have a politician who... Uh, in the abstract is for something called socialism, but more importantly, actually understands that there is a class struggle and any change that comes out of a Bernie Sanders uh, candidacy and potential win uh, will basically 
it'll unleash these social forces that we're already seeing these waves of strikes. If we just have a president for the first time in several generations that gets the fuck out of the way, you know, and lets people mobilize yeah. and organize and actually encourages that, then I think that th the potential for strikes and, and protests and um, direct action in general will quickly surpass even what it is that Bernie Sanders, you know, is, it will be fighting for in the political realm. I do believe it'll unleash these sort of social forces. Yeah, I heard the phrase recently, I think I might have heard this on Chapo or something, but there's somebody who just coined what's going on right now in America as class struggle uh, social democracy, which yeah. is like, yeah, okay, politically the bare bones of it are not as far left as we want, but the fact that class struggle as a concept is this big thing that is getting into the heads of people that were you know, previously sort of... Uh, ignorant to it is maybe the most important thing for just moving everything in that direction. Yeah. Well, it's something that uh, in decades and situations prior would be seen as like a compromised social democracy from like a far, like a socialist party is now um, that's a major victory because of how far right everything <clears throat> has gone. So the tactics you use and the, the uh, conflict at play to get these things passed is um, a lot more extreme than the actual uh, policies themselves in, in compared to the broad scope of, of history and what people have demanded in the past. Yeah, yeah you, say, you say history, and that's exactly where I'm going when I talk about these material forces, social forces. Um, you know, it seems like in all these different eras, whether it was the 1920s with the open shop drive, whether it was in the 1950s with McCarthyism, whether it was in the 1980s with Reagan, at all these different periods in time, you know, the, the analysts, the smart people, the intelligentsia basically said, you, you were wrong. There, the class struggle does not exist, right? Mm, you yeah. know, it, it is a, it's, it's ephemeral if it does, and it's only because outside agitators come in or demagogues come in that these... Um, you know, even these conceptions of social democracy or democratic socialism or unionism even exist. But over and over again, what we've seen is that um, <laughs> there is something empirical about the way that we view the world as socialist, anarchist, communist, whatever we are, because it always comes back. And we're in that one of those moments where it is coming back. And I think we're going to talk about strikes later. It's almost like a... Um, there's this, there's this cycle that happens that's almost like empirical evidence for our worldview. Right. Uh, in the, after the Great Depression, right, so which happens in 1929, it takes four or five years for the labor movement to get off its ass, to come together, for people to recognize that the class struggle is on and they could do something about it in order to create the CIO and this massive strike wave and unionization wave in the United States. You said we're so far back, Anders. Yeah, like, like just to come back to the conception of like 1960s, uh, you know, labor and, and unionism. We're so far behind that it's taken us, what, 10 years since the last crisis for the American working class to get off its ass. But it always happens. And it's coming back now. And it happens in the same way every time, which is that there's a crash. And then when the tide starts to rise again, people start to expect more. When they realize that capitalism as it exists cannot give that to them, they start to organize, they hit the streets, do direct action, organize and start striking. And I, I think that we are in that moment, again, in the cycle where we've got an exciting five, six, 10, 20 years ahead of us. Mm -hmm. And uh, Sir Sanders is as much a reflection of those social forces as he is the cause of it. Yeah, and I see, and I understand the, the critique from a lot of people on the left that there's like this laser-like focus on Bernie Sanders and getting him elected, and that seems like myopic in a, a lot of ways. But it's also it's it's really hard to envision what the world 
would be like. I don't want to jinx myself, say that he's going to win, but I, I, it's hard to even begin to grasp at that. But that's going to. But to me, that's that's the beginning. That's yeah. that's where this stuff starts. Well, uh, I, something that's interesting to me is that, like I think I understand where people are coming from when they, you know, they're not them like us. They're not thinking about the same things as us all day, and they get convinced of a a good like a point that's a good point in their head, which is like, well, why all why this one guy, why this one guy, or whatever. And I think part of that has to do with the two party system, where it's like there is a burgeoning movement in this country. But because of the two-party system, it has to be forced into, like, an insurgency in one half of it. And so when that happens, then that creates the basis for this line of questioning of, like, well, why not all these other people that are also Democrats? And it's like, well, they're not all the same. They're, like, he's really a party unto himself, Mm -hmm. which is why when you ask me the question, like, well, why just this guy? It's like, because he's the only person that's in what is, you know not an official party but like there's an invisible line drawn around him which is its own fucking thing right you know i was uh i was at a conference recently a marxist conference as i like to do and uh this trotskyist he was actually uh ex-iso i believe because the iso rip is now gone he had a really good point uh his point was that like we are correct to be skeptical of electoralism and this conception of sheepdogging leftists into the Democratic Party. And we know historically over and over again what's happened when people have put too much faith in a particular socialist or labor or social democratic democratic socialist politician to get shit done. But he he, he again the good point that he made was we will we have to be aware of that, but as of right now, AOC, Bernie, Lee Carter, all these figures have not been a break on the self-organization of the working class. They have been actually helpful for people right. to understand that the class struggle exists and that socialism is a possibility. We need to always be aware of the moment when politics turns into something that puts a break on the self-organization of the working class, but we're not there yet. Yeah. There's this sort of, um, it's like redounding upon itself, the politics yeah. and the social and the economic. Well, see, that's why I think it's interesting that like we're talking about this sort of like, uh, I can't remember what the fucking word is, some fucking Marxist nerd get referred to Marxism once to me as like the golden science or something like that. There's some like <laughs> fucking thing where they're like, it's, but it's like this, like it's this solid thing that like what the way you're describing, you know, if we understand historic history in a material sense, like, yeah, it, it will keep happening. Organizing will keep happening just because of the, the various factors and uh, like uh, circumstances that create class struggle it's not that it keeps happening because someone keeps drop, air dropping Mark's tomes and shit onto people and then telling <laughs> not them Not a how bad to idea, though, folks. <laughs> if you have a helicopter or an airplane, go for it. Yeah. Um, I'm sure everybody's wearing toast. a helmet. Yeah. <laughs> and that's why, like, it's, you know, something that kind of sold me on it early on in, radi- you know, being radicalized or whatever was realizing all, the, all this stuff I'm thinking about is, like, I'm coming to this conclusion and then realizing that historically a bunch of people have all come to the same conclusion and it's like, oh, this thing is there's truth in it. Truth is consistent. Truth will just keep reappearing no matter what. And so that's how you go, okay, well, yeah, that's why this thing is a little bit, this has more truth in it than like neoliberal politics. I would never sit around as some guy working in a fucking pizza restaurant and come up with like earned income tax credits or something, or, yeah. you know, some <laughs> fucking weird abstract thing that is the end result of, uh, you know, our shitty sort of American neoliberal politics or whatever. But the reason that's it's interesting to me is because when you talk about going in like cycles of, of uh, having class struggle create, you know, this awareness from the bottom up, well then also what we get in, in, in various ways, depending on, you know, what, 
part of history you're living in is the resistance from the top. And so it's re- I'm really kind of freaked out right now living in like what I think is like, you know, a little burgeoning uh, awareness of class struggle and then also watching like um you know, media outlets and the powers of be sort of try to push back against it and and make it not happen just by convincing you that it's not happening or whatever. And like a good, like a funny example of that is like, um, this fucking, uh, Delta airlines thing. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, I guess people were organizing at Gamers Delta. Gamers do not rise up. <laughs> yeah. Delta airlines. Someone snapped a picture of this, uh, ad that they put around, uh, to try to convince their workers not to organize. It says union dues cost around $700 a year. And then there's a big graphic of like an Xbox controller. And it says a new video game system with the latest hits. Sounds like fun. Put your money towards that instead of paying dues to the union Delta. <laughs> and like, it's fucking hilarious. Cause it sounds like Hank Hill wrote it. Like, <laughs> it sounds like someone who's like a million years old that doesn't know what a video game is, but thinks that the youths are obsessed with them, wrote it. Yeah. And also the message of it is, insane because it's like what do you think a union's for it's for me to have more money so i can buy more video games yes, exactly. <laughs> it, uh, that it, it's it's hilarious how they're grasping at straws right now to get to, to to make this stop like you said all these forces are going going to align against what we are doing right now and i mean we in the broadest sense and right now they're using like cute graphics of video games to be like wouldn't it be greater you know than you know spending what it would be 15 dollars a week on union dues wouldn't it be better to have the new skyrim or something like that (laughs) it's fucking laughable of course right but wait till fucking things really pop off you're gonna see like a lot more than like bad advertising they're gonna get more desperate they're like it's the fucking ceo of delta is gonna like skateboard into the room and shit with like all the knee pads on be like hey guys i bet you think unions are pretty fucking and then he dabs and throws his own back out and shit oh man why did the shareholders vote Beto O'Rourke as the CEO of this company (laughs) yeah so that's what I see I always pictured like if you're in a workplace and uh, people want to unionize and they come in and try to quell it it'll be like oh well did you know about law 85 7c or something and this is like the technical jargon you're after confront but everyone I hear from who's in that situation is just like no they come in with this like old ass propaganda about like this is what uh, someone in 1927 hit someone else in the head with a baseball bat like it's it's not yeah there's nothing there's nothing there um, I mean, I'm I'm deep within it, right? Like, I my trade union has been around for 120 years at this point in time, and um, can you, you know, say what what it is? It or? is a uh, building trades union, the uh, United Brotherhood of Carpenters, cool. and um, yeah, like uh, so many people uh, in so many industries, including my own, are kind of skating on what people had, have done, you know, a century ago. Yeah, and another amazing and beautiful thing to watch are different sectors and also different generations rising up and doing and repeating, as you said, Jake. Um, these sort of um, these sort of things that were happening so long ago, because. Um, you know, the the joke in my union, <clears throat> it's not even a joke, people say it seriously all the time, is they wish they had the mob back. Mm. They really do. Like, when the mafia was in control, uh. everything was great. There was always work. We always got a fucking pay raise every time. If there was a non-union outfit and they came to the area, it got taken care of real fast, and everything was great. Now, what they're looking back to is a point in time where... 
the idea of class struggle unionism had died and this kind of parasitic entity of the mafia or the mob had come in to take to to replace you know the self-activity of the working class but at the same time they're not wrong because right now we don't have any enforcement mechanism against capital and we're getting our fucking we're having our lunch eaten every fucking day out there with non-union coming in and shit so like people have this this recognition that things used to be different even within currently existing trade unions but i think for all of us broadly it's it's we're we're trying to figure out again how you get there right what does that power mean how do you recreate it uh in in this particular era without having some you know jaboni from staten island coming by with uh you know and like punching your supervisor in the face (laughs) i think it's jabroni which is fine (laughs) um (laughs) um well that's something else i wanted to ask you about is uh one of the news stories over the past few weeks is, you know, of course, Biden announcing, and this is another place where the electoral and the broader historical um, intersect, but right away, all these union leaders jumped in bed with the with the Biden campaign. What's that about? What's with this split um, between rank and file and leadership, and, and how far does that, I mean, I know it goes back till since the beginning of unions, but uh, more so recently, how has that developed? Well, I mean, you have to understand that as soon as you get into the position where you're part, where you're no longer um, in the in the field, in the yard, on the shop floor, you're automatically your personal self-interest is separated from the rank and file of your union, right? That is a structural thing because all of a sudden now, if we're giving concessions on our contract, but you have you know a a car that's paid for by the union, mm-hmm. you make. $250,000 a year, regardless of what the hourly wages of your workers are. Uh, you sit in your office for you know eight hours a day, regardless of how many hours somebody else has to work, you know, just to make their ends meet. There's a real material separation that happens between the rank and file and the union bureaucracy. And what we've seen again is that without grassroots, bottom-up uh, rank and file power, these uh, union management becomes very sclerotic and very self-interested. And in the specific case you're talking about with Biden, and we saw this with Clinton too, when it was Clinton versus uh, Sanders, is that they fucking know, they know that Bernie Sanders is going to support organized labor. Unlike Barack Obama who said, you know, I'm going to, I'll, I'll uh, put on my, my shoes and I'll walk the, I'll walk the picket line, you know, like total fucking bullshit. He didn't even do card check, right? Uh, they know that fucking Sanders will be supporting uh, organized labor in this country because it's just historically he's done it and it's what his entire rhetoric and his platform is on is about the working class in this yeah. country. What, but, with, but they can hedge their bets and they can go with Biden because if they can you know be the first ones to endorse him right uh, then then how do they lose it's it's a win-win situation yeah right? that's if, what happened with clinton if they think he's gonna win yeah and then they're the first people to get a piece of the pie yeah of course yeah, yeah. it's and, this transactional kind of politics and uh and they're also union leaders that supported trump oh yeah certainly yeah. In, in our in our trade and uh and in other ones i mean obviously cops and fucking correction officers and uh border patrol which are all unions which should not even be in the labor movement but yeah yeah that, that joke about the mob is really interesting to me because you say people are kind of half joking and they're kind of serious yeah, and yeah. it's like yeah okay so 
maybe I'm uh, I don't know how if I'm getting this right, but it kind of seems to me that like you know the concept of the birth of what a union is happens, and then there's sort of this decay and it falls apart, and then this this stratification thing you're describing happens, and there was this weird band aid in the middle of it that was like the mob influence. I just watched Hoffa. That's a big uh, plot point. Yeah, Hoffa. Yeah, yeah. Also, also oddly enough, I was just wa- just randomly watching an episode of Futurama before we started this podcast about this. There's a fucking mob in Futurama, oh, and then a, a fucking strike and scabs in a union, and this happens. Like, some of those comedy writers knew more than I think that they knew. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, Hollywood is filled with union members, right? And uh, also very corrupt ones, historically. Yeah. So maybe they had some run-ins back in the day. Yeah, But yeah, know. no, it's a joke, but it's only, again, it's like a half joke because... Think about it just like materially, right? If I if I'm working, you know, if if, if you work forty hours for forty weeks a year in the building trades, like you're doing pretty good. Put in two thousand hours, it's like awesome in a year. If I if my pay is going up, you know, two three percent every single year. If uh, there's union work everywhere, I'm talking about the seventies, eighties, early nineties at this point. But like. 10% of my pension is like being skimmed off and going away. I mean, that's bad, of course. Like, do, do I want my pension stolen? No, I don't obviously want that. But like, it's way better to have, you know, n- nine tenths of a loaf, right? Than be sitting on the fucking bench <laughs> right. for like seven months out of the year because, yeah. again, non union is coming in and taking all the fucking work. So that's the kind of mentality people have. It's like, well, okay, sure, they might have been corrupt and sure, they might have been ripping us off to an extent and sure, like, you know, Johnny Jewels over there, you know, you'd have to give him a fucking bottle of whiskey or a bundle of dope in order to get a job. But like, he at took least my brother's kneecaps. <laughs> but at least we had work, you know. And it's and that's business unionism. And yes, it's this like parasitical. Um, what, what did you say? You said like, or, or Jake, you were saying when the actual self activity dies off, it comes in to replace that. That's exactly what it is. And so, in order to recreate unionism in the United States, it's not only going to be. Uh, battle against capital and employers, but it is will be a battle within the unions themselves. And you've seen this, of course, with the teachers' strikes. You've seen this with wildcat strikes over the last several years. There will be a battle not just to replace that uh, that management, the, those u- union b- bosses, union bureaucrats, but also ultimately to make them irrelevant because the power has always been in the hands of the rank and file. And could uh, what what kind of scenario do you see playing out uh, with? If Sand, going back to this, uh, if Sanders wins, is their egg going to be on the face of the union bosses for back in Biden? Could there be some reconciliation there? Oh, what I what I think will happen is again, I think that uh, it's a win win for the uh, union bureaucrats because they know that Bernie's you know a labor guy. So the way you know the reason why I said earlier unleashing social forces is if you go back to 1933. Sorry, folks. I do history. All right, <laughs> you go back to 1933. Oh, you had <laughs> you had the beginnings of you know uh, uh, socialist consciousness and working class consciousness, and you had uh, the CIO starting to organize all these industries, industrial that hadn't been you know organized before, and. When um, FDR comes into office and he starts to do pro-labor legislation, the union leadership, the union organizers could go to a shop floor or go to a mine or go to wherever and say to the workers there, the president of the United States wants you to form a union. 
Okay. And then the people are like, what? Wow. The president wants, wants us. Yeah. Okay. Great. Let's do it. And then pretty soon over the, the course of the next few years, it overruns even what FDR wanted it to do, which was to increase, you know, consumption and make jobs more stable and bring the economy back. And all of a sudden you had millions of Americans in the United States who were socialists, anarchists, and communists. And then it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. We got to pull this back. Well there. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> about that. I, that's too much. But I, I could, I can imagine, I'm not saying it's certain, but I can imagine something similar with Sanders, because if all of a sudden now, you know, the president of the United States is standing up there on stage and saying, like, we, you know, I just cleared out the National Labor Relations Board. I did executive orders to make it easier for people to organize. If Trump can do that with, like, putting children in cages, I don't see why Sanders can do an executive order that says, like, any any company with a federal contract who doesn't allow their workers to organize will be cut off immediately. If he's up there with the bully pulpit, along with presumably a bunch of other kind of social Democrat oriented Democrats, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I, I think that that will give people the kind of, I don't know, permission, I guess, to, uh, to start to do things that I think people are starting to inherently understand we have to do anyways, right? We have to work collectively. The power of the banks and, and capital and the bosses in general is too much. And um, again, I think that that's the interesting thing about um, Bernie Sanders, uh, more so than even like his specific policies. As yeah. much as Medicare for all would be great for all of us, right? Yeah. yeah. I think that's the more interesting thing. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, you can see it in like, uh, there's this story this week about... Um, the governor of Tennessee went to a Volkswagen factory, uh, kind of uh, asked the local media not to report on it. <laughs> um, the purpose of his his talk at this Volkswagen factory was to talk about having an open dialogue, which is this huge dog whistle for don't unionize because it's better if we can just talk to each other directly and not through a union or whatever. And then like kind of the the happy ending to the story is that people in the factory were basically like, fuck this and like, you know, boot them over and stuff like that. And it's like, well, where'd that come from? That's class consciousness, you know? Yeah. Well, and this is something like that. uh, I mean, with the rise of labor supporting Trump, this is kind of like chickens coming home to roost in a way for the Democrats. Cause I mean, back in the nineties, a lot of, union leaders and I think membership were prepared to line up behind Pat Buchanan who's right. a far right lunatic but he was talking about trade which uh, Ross Perot same thing yeah do you think that that like that this is happening because it's interesting watching like these events play, play out and watching you know something like union leadership jump all over the map and support different people and like I've been thinking a lot about the two party system lately I guess because like there's like these interesting subgroups within both Democrats and Republicans that um, I'm like, if we had a bunch of different parties, like in a European style, would labor all organize into one party? Uh, Would like these psycho fucking, uh, you know, pro-life Christian people be in the Republican party? They seem to have at various different points been sort of like, you know, brought into the Republicans and then sort of ignored. Um, I'm thinking about that because there's like, obviously this big, abortion you know backdoor ban that's happening in georgia right now and um you know the the place of pro-life shitheads within the the republican party is like um interesting to look at with trump in office and then pence as vp yeah um yeah, because it's not something they're that explicit. Republicans running for office, even Trump, are that explicit about in their rhetoric, you know, anti-choice, anti-gay stuff. But then it gets written into the laws because the 
that uh, wing still has clout in the party. Yeah, I don't know. Quietly now, right? It's not like the 2000s or like even uh, under Obama where these cultural issues, you know, are are out front every single day. It's just very quietly, you know, um, Trump uh, appointing conservative judges, you know, in every single level of... uh, the uh, judiciary and yeah just quietly putting six week abortion bans into effect and it's just kind of like take it for granted now I guess within the Republican Party that if you get one of our guys in like we've captured the Republican Party at this point right they can be a philanderer they can grab them by the pussy you know they could be gaudy and fucking kind of foppish and prance around and do you know weird things with their hands like a theater director or something but you know you know that they're gonna like trump also during the debates right before he was elected would just came out and was just like they just they rip babies out of people's stomachs and shit and like you tell someone like that morning was like you gotta say they rip babies out of people's stomachs (laughs) just sort of used him and like that one thing that's fairly obvious about his presidency is that like to whatever extent he had a vision for his presidency it's pretty much gone because he just became like the mouthpiece He's a senile fucking weirdo. So like a bunch of shitty old Republicans who he sort of acted like he wasn't going to, you know, endorse their politics. They all filled his cabinet and then sort of became like the puppet master of this weird, vulgar guy. Mm -hmm. Right. Do you think like I guess conversely, I'm thinking about Sanders. If Bernie Sanders wins, do you think he has like enough people to form a cabinet that won't really like overpower him in the same way? Or do you think he just will use executive action well enough to to override any of that sort of things happening that, that's why it's like kind of scary to me that he's like the only person you know with his politics yeah well there aren't a, that many elected officials who have his politics but i think there are there's no shortage of like academics and like organizers and people who could fill that role i mean i, I think the real danger is him poaching too many of them to where there isn't, uh, and this is something that's happened in Latin American countries where you've had a really strong grassroots left movement and they take power and everybody from the movement goes into the government and then the movement kind of dies. Yeah, this is again, that the moment in time that we all need to be waiting for as I think this movement continues and will continue is for that moment when the electoral politics the sphere of the state starts to put a block on our ability to organize and to act yeah and i think you'll see that you know if a sanders administration did something similar like where obama puts tim geithner in you know and lauren summers you'll know right off the bat right that that, that something's not right there mm-hmm. um yeah i mean the, with the trump shit like it's crazy i was talking about how like disillusioned and kind of bored i am by the whole fucking spectacle of the thing but if this were if this were like a different if this is more geographically specific this Trump phenomenon I mean we're as gridlocked now as we were in the 1850s like there's no reason we shouldn't be in a civil war right now I think maybe like that sounds insane to say but think about the 90% of republicans who are like completely in the fucking bag for Donald Trump and then the 90% of democrats who think he's the most odious thing in the entire world these two completely different worldviews that exist and it's just surprising that we aren't even more at one another's throats right now because yeah. this kind of like Trumpian populism is, um, 
Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's, I think it's really showed these, these contradictions within our society. It's weird, though, because you're right. It's not a geographical split, though. If it was south and north, we could have a civil war. We could have a fucking <laughs> war, but it's like... It's, it's like, like the purge otherwise. But it's, it's, like, fuck, it's like Fox News versus MSNBC yeah, or something, which yeah. is not geographical. So, like, it would if we had the civil war, it would be like a like a, just the entire country, instead of turning the top as one color or the other, it's like... Every man for himself, like a fucking... Uh, Hobbesian war against all. <laughs> yeah, like a game of um, Fortnite or something, you know? Well, that sounds fun. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and this is not an incitement to anything, but like... I love when sentences uh, start that way. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> Why am I telling you this? Uh, if, you know, election day, the day after the election in 2020, uh, and Joseph R. Biden has just <laughs> lost... Like Robinette, we really Robinette. don't have the luxury of waiting till 2024. Like, like the latest climate data is saying, like we literally have to start within the next two years, just completely changing the energy system and the economy. And like, yeah, we're gonna have to figure something else out. That's, uh, you know, we're gonna have to think outside the uh, think outside the box. Yeah, I think. I mean, this is again like to. Tying together this this labor shit along with the electoral politics shit, and uh, leaving aside the fact that Bill Clinton now has a uh, left podcast, which means he's going to be showing up at our parties, (laughs) trying to hit on DSA members. Bill Clinton, come to uh, Littlefield this weekend, hang out with the Struggle Session, Katie Helper, and Yoko. Uh, Bill Clinton, go to Yoko. We'll Uh, take Chelsea. (laughs) But no, to order an Uber for Bill Clinton at the Verso Loft. He was fucking. <laughs> oh, dude, we're gonna do so many whippets with Bill Clinton. <laughs> oh, that would be frightening. Uh, I feel your pain. <laughs> I forgot where I was going with that whole thing, but um, yeah, no, I, I think that. Oh, what why, you're why am I telling the, you this? <laughs> why am I telling you? This? I think the criticality of this moment is like really serious, and I think that you know, even the the liberals, okay, liberals out there, if you're listening, I don't know why you're listening to Pod Damn and not Pod Save America, but I think even liberals have a sense of this with their um, I don't know with all the faith they put in the Mueller report and also the amount uh, of uh, Sturm and Drang about impeachment 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 there seems to be this moment where it seems like everything is really fucking heightened and even and very crucial and even people who like aren't particularly radically radical politically if they're on the left or the right feel that we're at this critical juncture right that's that is moment 100 you know? the reason all my liberal friends are like freaked out and insane right now is because that they're aware that something's wrong and they don't know how to fix it and, and that's our fault yeah honestly but, sure I, so i mean not all not completely our fault but to get to the question of like oh well what's going to happen in 2020 you know 2024 like again pushing back against the electoral thing like irrespective of what's happening you know who wins who loses uh you know uh what policies are put in place which ones aren't our job is always the same which is to get you know maybe one two three of our liberal friends who are out there banging on about fucking impeachment and over the course of the next year you know few years is is start to reach out to people and educate them on what the actual issue is you don't need a Mueller report you need collective power and you need fucking uh direct action you need here's why i think that this is a good omen 
I think that they're hitting a breaking point where like the Mueller report can no longer really explain all this shit. And I also think they're starting to freak out. And the reason I say that is because Pod Save America, our father podcast, <laughs> just tweeted like this the ad for their next episode, and the graphic for it is just the Pod Save America font over a house on fire. I swear to <laughs> wow. God, they're stealing our bit. They're going full on scary Cronenberg goth. I think it might have been the Notre Dame Cathedral. It was oh, just wow. a house burning to the ground, and then it said Pod Save America, it's which time is to a lawyer up, boys. A far cry. <laughs> From you know a smirking uh, George Washington listening to a podcast or something. Oh, I think God. they're starting to realize how fucked up everything you think is. The Johns are going to get on board. <laughs> oh, I, my thing with this is that I, I, okay. So if you're a liberal, you're freaked out, and then something happens. You either start investigating how do I fix this, and then you meet us, and then you go, oh my God, we should all collectively organize, or you just freak out and then you just paint yourself into a corner and then that's when you become psychotic and the same thing happens i mean that's that's where like reactionary right-wing people come from is an understanding that something is wrong and no fucking understanding of how to fix it uh that's how you get convinced of that there's some other dumb way to fix it right yeah. so with liberals i'm worried that there's like that there's now such a like a um like uh, people are just trying to convince them so hard not to go left that they are going to pathologize in some weird way. And who knows what Pod Save America will turn into. <laughs> well, I kind of hope it does turn into something like this if in the next couple of years uh, the country and world moves really far to the left mm. and then like that's where they end up. It's like, <clears throat> yeah, and, I, and, and similar, like you, you have like maybe what, 10 million near attendant clones out there, you know, yeah. like wine moms who are uh, real messy on Twitter and are like blue wave, um, I don't know, Biden and Clinton stands, right? Similar to like Bernie Sanders when he gets in office, like it's enough for those libs to just get out of the way. Yeah. You know, just get out of the way and defer because ultimately our vision, which is a universal versal vision, is going to be better for them anyways. They might not think that Medicare for all is good or that it's realistic, right? But we are going to fight for it anyways. At the end of the day, it'll make their lives better. So it's yeah. enough for them to just go off into a corner somewhere, get really upset, create another Democratic leadership conference, you know, part two, call it like, you know, pod save the Democratic Party, whatever they want to call it, but just like get out of the way and let the serious people who want to make serious change happen do the fucking work. It kind of seems like their move is once like something Medicare, like Medicare for all passes, they just go like, that was our idea the whole time. And then you go, fine, whatever, as long yeah, as we fine. have it. Take it. Right. Congratulations, John Lovett or whatever the fuck your name is. But the I insidious, mean, like the powers that be within like, you know, like the actual, like look at the people on Pod Save America have like, you know, ownership in like GoFundMe. Like those people, the people that are actually have a stake in this sort of thing, they do something more insidious, which is that they come out with Medicare for all with an asterisk next to oh, it. And oh, then, let's be completely clear. When I said the near attending clones, I meant all of like the you know the, the, the centrist the like yeah, like right. in, the, in the suburbs. The actual the Johns and the Neras of the world, they are literally our class enemies. You know, they they not only own you know, parts of GoFundMe or whatever, you know, not just crooked media, but are like ensconced in these uh, $400,000 a year jobs at the, uh, what's CAP stand for? The Center for American Progress. Center for American Progress, right? <laughs> they will literally fight tooth and fucking nail. Like those people are our enemies and we must fight them. It's, it's the people who just like signal about this sort of like tone policing centrist ideology that 
you know, can just get out of the way and let us move on. We're going to have to fight those others. We're yeah. Fight yeah. them hard. Right. And my wishful thinking says they'll become like social Democrats. But what's likely is that and it's kind of similar to what's going on in the UK. Uh, like they'll be the naysayers of the the left party. So they'll be kind of the way I guess we were under Obama, where we had to like every achievement he had. We were like, well, actually, uh, they're going to be like that with Medicare for all. They're going to be complaining about how ever, they're going to say, like, of course, yeah, he's better than Trump, but not by much. Which is exactly what's happening in the Labour Party in the UK yeah. right now. Right. Yeah. Like the, 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 the centrist wing and the right wing of the of the Labour Party are those naysayers. They're sitting there and being like, oh, no, 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 Jeremy, don't go that far. And he keeps, you know, threading the needle with Brexit. And, you know, once he gets a chance, he'll probably end up, you know, in the prime ministership. And at that point in time, they, yeah, knock wood. <laughs> but uh, they can sit in the back benches and, and boo him, as I think you're right. Like uh, th- those people hopefully will eventually become largely irrelevant. Just an annoying Greek chorus of earned income tax credit stands. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I guess like to me, it's what's interesting is the like the top down manipulation of those people because like I do have like a lot of friends that were fucking more hardcore libs a couple years ago that have sort of come around to DSA and you know left light stuff like that and like are clearly moving in the right direction but like are you know very much of the like they don't want to make a good guy I think a like a like a drastic change and go like you know hey I'm burning my old identity to the ground and I'm now this or whatever. Mm. They want to be like invited in. And so the power that like the fucking near attendants and the Johns and stuff have over them is that they go, you still agree with us though, right? You can, you can, you know, like you would have to defy all of these fucking people that sort of uh, curate your little media feed and stuff in order to make that jump. And I think like people don't want to. So like, I don't know. I mean, well, maybe it's fine. Maybe they'll just vote for someone like Bernie, like, in spite of everything or something. Well, like, let, let me backtrack a little bit on what I said before, because, like, there are people, and I'll just bring up two examples. So let's say, like, um, African-American Democrats in the South, right? The reason why they're afraid of a Bernie Sanders-type situation is that they know how much they have to lose, because within a couple generations, they had Jim Crow, right? They know what civil rights means, and they don't want to risk a Bernie Sanders to get Trump again, and they know that it'll be devastating for black communities, you know, across the entire country. There's also the people, too, that, um, you know, these are the Nearest and Johns of the world who are in the top, in the 20, top 20%. Like, these people in the United States are still doing great. They are pulling away from the rest of us. You've got, like, that lower 80%, which probably all the listeners of this show are in, where it stops becoming a choice and it starts to be an imperative, right? Like, the the folks who have enough to, like, have the decent health care, who own their own homes, who have jobs where they'll actually be able to retire someday, they will be very difficult to convince and maybe unconvincible because materially they're not suffering the effects of what the rest of us are. And that's fine, you know? Like, I understand why they would feel that way. But again, we have to, like, defeat their ideology and politically defeat them. 
at a certain point. Hopefully. Well, I disagree with one thing in that I think that Bill Clinton and Chelsea Clinton probably are going to listen to our podcast after <laughs> we subscribe to their Patreon and then they subscribe back and we create well, a solidarity I with mean, them. The, the currency in New York City left podcasting is going on one another's <laughs> show. So uh, whether Antifada gets uh, Hillary and uh, Chelsea first or Pod Dam, that'll show. Uh, I'm going on Cometown. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's already been on Cometown in spirit. Yeah. I'm, they do a pretty good fucking Nick or a pretty good uh, Bill over there. Um, yeah, no, Bill and Chelsea, come on, we'll do like one of these fucking podcast jams like we've been doing like this Friday at uh, at Littlefield. You know, that'll be Madison Square Garden. You guys will definitely be opening for Chelsea. I'm gonna grab a beer. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna pause real quick and take a piss, and then maybe we can talk about. All right, so I guess um, if we're going to talk about offending black people and offending <laughs> unions, we should talk about Joe Biden. Um, <laughs> there's a great clip of him going around from not too long ago. He's on stage with Obama and shit uh, of him just like uh, reminding us of all of our, our collective cultural amnesia about how horrible this dude is because he was standing next to Obama, I guess, um, where he's basically just like, going off on this weird tangent about how he's like, I used to go around to black neighborhoods and tell the women to raise their kids better and the men, you know, you can wear condoms and it's not, you know, weird. You know? Did he call it the hood too? I'm I think sure. He said that I, I, I went to I, the hood. The black section. The urban I area. Said, yeah. the, I, the vibrant neighborhoods. He said the something I'm loving it areas. He seems like the type of guy that would use the word urban in kind of vocal yeah. italics, you know. Oh, just kind of, the fact of the matter is, what Hillary points out, there's neglect in the part of the medical and the white community focusing on educating the minority community out there. I spent last summer going through the black sections of my town holding rallies in parks, trying to get black men to understand it's not unmanly to wear a condom, getting women to understand they can say no, getting people in the position where testing matters. I got tested for AIDS. I know Barack got tested for AIDS. There's no shame in being tested for AIDS. It's an important thing because the fact of the matter is in the community, in the communities engaged in denial, they're engaged in denial. No one wants to talk about it in the community and we do not have enough leaders in the community and outside the community demanding we face the reality confront the men in the community as well as the women letting them know Senator, there are alternatives thank you service this bitch when I was in uh, food service and uh, we had uh, the, our checks were cut by Carver Bank you know Carver Bank it's like a historically black owned business from no. Bed-Stuy hmm. but it's like a small like credit union bank thing and when she got her first paycheck she's like Carver isn't that an urban bank <laughs> and there was a black guy like the porter was standing there he's like gave her that look you know like if it was Twitter and somebody did one of those gifs he gave her that look you know <laughs> yeah. yes urban is definitely a word that Biden would use unironically <laughs> yeah it's such a weird dog whistle because it's like people that live in cities use it to just refer to things as being like black you know right like uh, that weird racist whisper thing. But um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Biden, why is he the front runner? Is this going to keep happening? Is it just name recognition? He is so clearly the opposite of everything that is even, you know, good about. I mean, even the fucking rest of like the weird center Democrats are like adopting Medicare for all and stuff like that. And he's just sort of like. 
He's just sort of like blustering around saying like, I haven't thought about healthcare. Fuck it. You'll just vote for me anyway. You know, he's got the firefighters union. But what do you think? (laughs) How does what is the deal with the because he's like, has he started a lot of fires accidentally? And like he's uh, they like him. He is a dumpster fire. My my take on Biden is that he's a warlock. He is. Um, there's a, a a myth in this like uh, ancient sort of obscure religion of hermeticism that like the uh, this is the, the end of the movie Waking Life is about this, which is actually kind of a bad movie if you're an adult. But um, Blues Alex Run, Jones is in it. Yeah, Alex Jones is in it. My old bodega's in it. Um, but there's this this uh, this theory about the crucifixion where this guy is saying that like. You know, a demon visits him and he realizes that, like, uh, time is stuck in the moment of the crucifixion. When the crucifixion happened, a demon visited us and stopped time in that moment and created an amnesia that, like, convinced us all that we're all stuck. The, the time is still moving, but in reality, we're stuck. In, in a flat circle. Yeah. And so the <laughs> the allegory in this religion, I guess, is that, like, you, we need to collectively somehow figure a way to go get back to that moment, solve the moment, and get back on the collective, like, proper timeline and out of this smoky, fake thing where we think it's the year 2019, but it's actually still the moment of uh, whatever. And it's a fun metaphor, but I think it really applies. Like, it's a good parallel for what he's trying to do to everyone's brains. He's trying to convince them that, like, there's this way that we can just everything we can just go back we can just jump timelines back to fucking uh, you know four or five years ago when he caused all this shit to happen and it's insane because he's like he's just he like he's just doing blatant shit like calling himself a union man and stuff yeah he did do that while just like you know outright opposing unions and things like that yeah, which is why I'm not, like, super worried about him, because you don't have to do that much heavy lifting to just... And this is what Bernie's done so far, just, like, uh, not gotten personal, just, like, pointed to his record. And, you know, I think, yeah, back to the, the South Carolina issue and, like, how to appeal to black voters down there, just played clips like the one at the debate. Just, like, show <laughs> shit he's said. Like, it's... It shouldn't be that hard. Yeah, there's enough packs out there, right? Like political action committees with all that dark money that uh, fucking, what's his face, Bernie Sanders doesn't even have to get his own hands dirty. You yeah, know, there's, there's en- enough money out there that they could just show a, a video of Biden on repeat talking about how black men need to put condoms on in order to fix the hood. Yeah. And that, that might do it. That might do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. He's, he's like, I've been to Third Ward. I've been to Harlem. I'm doing it as Obama. That uh, <laughs> uh, doesn't work. How do you do an Obi- How do you do a Biden impression? There's no Biden. You got to bumble around. He's very around. similar to Trump, uh, but he's without the New York like fuck. Like he has a Scranton. He's like a Scranton Trump. Yeah. We're gonna have to if he gets elected. <laughs> no. People are gonna have to figure oh, out no. a fucking Biden impression. Is it me or is Folks. he is he half demented at this point in time? Doesn't he seem like whatever like powers of persuasion he used to have back in the day, he's lost them completely. He looks old as shit. Yeah. He bumbles around on stage. Uh, he just makes these bizarre claims, and he doesn't want to really have any policies. He, he's he's also he's grinning constantly, which is a yeah. sign of like. I have no idea what's going on. Yeah. yeah. You know? He, th- there's a clip of him from 1987, 88, the first time he ran for president. And uh, I don't know if everybody's just on coke in the 80s, but he is, like, just freaking out at this reporter who just asks him, like, 
Uh, he just is asking about his academic record and he's like you dropped out of law school he's like yeah I dropped out of law school and then I came back and I did better than anyone in my fucking class <laughs> and then he got like mad at him for asking where his like policy <clears throat> papers were and he's like I'll get to that I'll get to that just you wait well the the, the Biden thing too uh, you saw the shit with Cheney right how yeah. you're saying that Cheney's like a decent good man or whatever oh, like yeah, yeah. Part of the reason why Biden is so out of step right now, I think, with American politics is he sincerely believes, I guess because he's such a fucking ball-gargling, power-hungry, you know, 40-year fucking politician, that Democrats and Republicans can find some common ground in this era, which is completely not true at all, which is why any centrist like but Chug or who else is that? Kamala Harris, right? Yeah. Who goes into Washington with the expectation that they can paper over these differences between Trump's America and like the rest of the United States. They're completely fucking delusional, right? Biden really thinks that he can do what Obama said he was going to do, which is go in there and find some compromise. And you mentioned Mitch McConnell before. Like the, the first thing he said when Obama got into office is we're going to make him a one-term president yeah. and not allow him to pass any legislation whatsoever. So the Biden thing is just so ridiculous on its face but you know he does have this blue collar Biden thing it's complete affect I think it really goes to show how in this country what we consider to be working class is more of like an aesthetic phenomenon and a consumption phenomenon than anything else because you know um I guess he's folksy, right? He's right. like, his bumbling is like, oh, he's like your drunk uncle. You know, it's like vaguely amusing. I guess like white working class, if that even means anything, people feel like vaguely like they have something in common with the guy. But like, not in a material sense. And what yeah. he's calling for doesn't actually address working class concerns. It's just like, here's an old white guy who like grew up in Scranton, PA, who like, maybe talks like you and like looks like he might have something in common yeah okay. it's all cultural and aesthetic I think I figured out what my anxiety about this is all this right. is what I've been kind of like trying to pull apart the entire conversation we've been having which is that I you know th- something happened in 2016 which is that we had a bunch of mechanisms in place for predicting who was going to win and what was going to happen and what was happening in the world. And then we all went, holy shit, those things are no longer reliable because something happened. We have technology, the internet changed everything, the monoculture split apart. Suddenly, it's no longer really reliable. There's not a TV box in every fucking apartment and every home that's like pumping in the same information. And so, you know, with uh, like trying to explain things like um, Trump, I mean... I have the same anxiety that a lot of people have about fucking conservative people that are in my family and that I know, which is that, like, they've been brainwashed by Fox News. And uh, then I also look at my liberal fucking family and go, oh, my God, my mom just watches the other version of Fox News and that, that there's this top-down thing happening. And But simultaneously, we're also talking about a burgeoning idea of bottom-up thinking, of, like, people being aware of their own class, you know, place in the class struggle and... Um, also, you know, maybe maybe starting to branch out and take in better forms of information and media that then cause them to think from the bottom up and not from the top down, not to be brainwashed by, you know, this this fucking higher power group of people that control media and all this stuff that informs and dictates like what you're comfortable thinking and what branch you're able to go out and uh, stick your neck out on. But to me, I guess Biden is really funny because he's like. In my mind, if this scenario I'm describing is true, he's the last 
fucking evil grasp Ooh, that that top-down yes. thinking has of just like, yep. we're gonna sound out this fucking junkyard dog we got, Joe Biden, this fucking dude who's just gonna come out and just go, it's fucking 10 years ago. It's not <laughs> yeah. even right now. We're back. Fuck, <laughs> shut the fuck up. Don't even ask me political questions. Right. Don't ask me about my platform. It's all just this weird-ass <laughs> propaganda. And the big question, the big climax of the story that we're in being, you know, top-down versus bottom-up thinking or whatever, these two things is like, is this just gonna work? And it's really scary because his numbers, his polling numbers are indicating that like, yeah, maybe that still fucking works. Maybe you can still convince everyone of your one narrative through some fucking you know way of controlling the the monoculture even maybe he maybe they figured it out maybe post trump they were like okay we can't just have tv we also got to figure out your facebook feed we also got to like do 10 other things that like get in people's cell phones and convince them joe biden's great or whatever you you Check asked out me. my new podcast bottom up <laughs> thinking that's, that's fucking it that's it right that, that's we what, go through the back pages of the star a, report a sign of the end times is that they're starting podcasts <laughs> yeah they are now god they're colonizing our world bottoms <laughs> up i mean like you asked me uh first thing you asked me is if i'm an anarchist and i said no uh that doesn't mean i'm not adjacent right but for me and I think what it's important to impart to, I think, everybody out there is that, like, it is nearly axiomatic on the left, wherever you are, if you're anarchist, communist, socialist, whatever the case may be, right, that people ultimately do not come to consciousness because somebody explains things to them nicely, right, or, like, sits down with them and holds their hand and walks them through a process. You've seen this. 2018 was the most... Uh, number of strikes since 2007, so that's 12 years, and the most number of people on strike since 1986, when I was six years old, okay? Like, people, it doesn't matter what those uh, teachers in West Virginia or uh, the teachers in Arizona or the other striking workers felt or like imagined the world to be, whether they're Biden people or Trump people or whatever, they learn by doing. So it's axiomatic that the bottom-up thing is actually it's building consciousness in the course of struggle itself. People might not know what they are doing, but they come out the other end with a sense that they do have the power to change the world by changing their own lives with the people next to them. And that's something that Biden can't do. And ultimately, it's something that Trump can't do either because he's offering people this phony right populism, which you know says, oh, these elites, uh, MSNBC or the failing New York Times, who does he blame, the migrants or whatever? That's yeah. not actually going to materially affect people's lives or empower them to do fucking anything. Biden's the same fucking way the firefighters union the honchos at the top of that say like biden's our man he'll say i'm a union man at the end of the day but like people i i don't think i i'm scared too you know i'm scared that 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 the end of history could continue with biden that the, the end of history will never end but i think that we have to have faith ultimately that like something has to break and that's why i think that biden can't do can't do it if he even gets in it'll be an interregnum because trump's populism broke politics in the United States. Mm -hmm. It's fucking broken. You cannot put that back into the box. And again, I think that, you know, like the, the, the way that people have been acting on the ground over the last couple of years shows that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess, yeah, I, I, I hope that that's true. Uh, it's just scary, I guess. But, um, uh, That's scary, well, were, but exciting. Right? You were mentioning that. Uh, well, where do you think the the strike wave it, within? I mean, even before the election, do you think this is going to keep accelerating, accelerating the sheer amount of strikes? 
I mean, I don't, I don't see any reason why it won't. But you can never predict anything. Yeah. Um, I, okay. So actually, I just want to interject one important thing about what you're describing is that like the, the top down thing can't fucking it, it can't override the bottom up thing, which is and you're saying Biden, Trump, these people can't do this. But also that is something that's kind of true about Bernie. There's a limit to us having a president that does all this stuff. We need to understand that he's like not. Yes. He's not going to be a deus ex machina. Exactly. He cannot story. do it for us. But, uh, you know, as I said in the beginning, is like he will at least get out of the way and allow us to do it. And we'll sit on the sidelines and maybe do some executive actions that say, like, I will allow you to do it. Yeah. And that's all we fucking need. Yeah. Honestly, this country is so fed up in so many different ways. And let's let's go beyond the country. The entire fucking world is right. Mm-hmm. That like if if fucking you give people the permission to go out there and do shit, they're already taking it themselves. But if at the highest, the most powerful person in the free world is saying like it's open season on your bosses i think people will take that wager yeah Yeah. and he's also like calling for a participatory legislative process where he goes out barnstorms the country and uh, goes to uh members of congress their districts and uh, organizes people and uh he has been kind of vague about it but like that's and and it's easy to be critical like oh is that gonna work but i mean it's a hell of a lot better of an idea than just trying to do Obama 2.0. Oh, God, you know? yeah. The Obama uh, thing that, what what was his, his fucking thing called? Uh, that giant list he had of people. The uh, Obama for America. Guantanamo Bay. <laughs> Did you know there, uh, I saw this fucking thing a couple of days ago. There's an old Onion article about like Guantanamo Bay um, like creating uh, you know, hospitality for like elderly and dying like an old folks home in Guantanamo yeah. Bay and uh, that was released like I don't know, 10 years ago or some shit as a joke like Guantanamo Bay and now it's happening they're just getting ready to fucking oh because they've been there so long to take care Jesus. of these people they're oh, holding right. there yeah, all the way senior citizens and into, yeah. into death into just fucking hospice care or whatever wow. because uh, you know because he didn't shut that shit down like he said he was going to do. Yeah. they should organize well, uh, so, something I did want to get your Hell take yeah. on is... Uh, Arkham Asylum style. Yeah. <laughs> uh, with this, like a lot of the, I guess in the past year, a lot of the strikes have been teachers and uh, nurses are starting to get active as well. Um, I was listening to an interview with Jane McAlevey, who was making a distinction between strikes like that and the Fight for 15 movement, which she thinks is a good thing. Uh, but the way it was accomplished was sort of it was sort of a top-down movement, and in, in the way the she framed it, yeah, yeah, uh, they had you know public relations people kind of putting out the the advertising for it. Uh, that do you think there's gonna be we can do both of those things, or does we need uh, is there a way to organize people in the private sector through a similar um, form uh, that we've seen with with nurses and, and teachers? I mean, I think it's a both thing. That's why I don't write off the Sanders phenomenon because I do think there is, if you will, a dialectic between the political and the material, the economic. Right? They, yeah. They're forces. They bounce off one another and they inform one another. Um, in terms of like who is striking and for what reasons and what the future of the labor movement is. I think ultimately, if you look at it, the entire, over the last 40 years, the entire basis of the U.S. economy and the global economy has shifted. Part of the reason why you see strikes by people like teachers or Uber and Lyft drivers uh, and folks in just the service sector, the tertiary sector in general, is because 
uh, global capital has managed to despatialize itself. It's managed to go from a situation where production of consumer goods or means of production or just factory and industrial jobs have gone from the core to the periphery because those jobs can be moved to China, Vietnam, uh, Brazil, Cambodia, whatever the case may be, right? You cannot do that with a nurse. All right. They might want to. There's all this talk of automation. <laughs> you are not going to automate a nurse. You can try to automate a teacher, but people even know now that charter school people that you're not going to have a fucking computer teaching your yeah. children. As long class, as the right? robot has a gun, I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> but fucking, I, what I'm what I'm getting to is that I think that a the um, the conception of working class we have, like I said before, like this kind of cultural and aesthetic and consumer conception completely breaks down when you're looking at these service and pink collar jobs and even white collar jobs, uh, which are um, essential in any, given, um, in any given location in the United States because they cannot be moved to a different area. We need to not only like broaden our conception of what working class is, which is anybody who works for a wage, right, who doesn't have the ability to hire or fire somebody, and also recognize that the, the laws, the legal system based around unionism, and even the structures of the union bureaucracy, and even the politics in which we approach uh, organized labor is built for a different era. Mm -hmm. Right. You look at the, the Uber and the Lyft drivers, for example. Right. They are independent contractors. They do not have the right to organize. They are literally like small businesses themselves. Yeah. Right. They pay all their own taxes. They don't get any benefits. No payroll. Yeah, shit. And like, you know, like so many workers. Are so many fucking workers. They've moved that everything it's, in that direction. It's brilliant on because, ca yes, capital loves to put the onus and the burden directly on the individual. It not only, uh, of course, like makes you pay for your own health insurance, you know, your own taxes, whatever the case may be, but of course, also at the same time, it alienates you from other people who are doing the same economic activity as you, makes it impossible for you to organize. Thank so, you. like, what, where did, uh, where was Martin Luther King when he got assassinated? He was in Memphis. And why was he in Memphis? Because sanitation workers, largely black sanitation workers, were trying to organize. And the impediment that they ran up to is that public sector workers at that point in 1968 could not organize. It was illegal for them to organize, right? Same thing with the Uber and the Lyft drivers. When you look at it, all those industrial jobs have gone across the entire world. What's left now are these service sector jobs. Anything that's still labor intensive in this economy and cannot be pushed overseas, that is where you will see these strikes. And that is where everything, fucking ideological, legal, political, economic, is, is, is in line against people organizing. And that only means that those people in these in this tertiary service sector of the economy that's you know based on you know human labor and not automated shit those people need to act as though there was no law that there was no impediment for them to organize because what happens with public sector workers in the 1960s and 70s is they go on wildcat strikes, they go on illegal job actions, millions and millions of people until de facto they gain the right to organize because they have made it their right and Ex post facto, the government says, okay, public sector workers can organize now. Same shit in the 1930s. Same right. shit with the business unions, the trade unions in like the 1890s, right? It is always us forcing their hand to give concessions to us that we are able to make them change the laws and give them, give us what we deserve in the first place, right? That's where I see labor going at this point in time. We have these outmoded laws, this outmoded politics, this outmoded conception of what the working class is, and more and more people, I think, 
right now are breaking with that conception saying we can't wait anymore right we have to start organizing now damn the law you know damn the fucking unions who won't even try to organize us we got to do it ourselves and yeah i mean hopefully bernie sanders doesn't put a stop to that i don't think he will i think that's the future the next you know five ten years we're going to see a wave of struggle or at least i hope inshallah yeah, well, I hope that that is the truth because, I mean, I still am a an independent contractor outside of this podcast, and I look at it sometimes and go like, man, I really see what they did here is they they, they sold me a really interesting Faustian deal, which is it's like, hey, you know, you want to have, you know, your free time and your own schedule? Well, sure, but you have to forfeit a lot of your own rights. And then you look at this thing, this independent contractor gig economy thing, and you go like, all right. Well, how do we organize? Can we? Are they not going to let us? I mean, is there a I huge? I mean, seven hundred bucks could get you a new uh, Xbox, yeah. right? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe if we get the Xbox and then we start a Twitch stream. Hold on, we don't yeah. need a union anymore because we're making so much money off the Twitch stream. You could get Chelsea Clinton, Bill Clinton, and H Bomber guy to come guest on it. Yeah, just blow that. Shit. Chelsea Clinton is going to come in here and she's going to play the new Mortal Combat with me, and we're going to do sick fatalities on each other and it's going to generate so much money that no one ever has to drive uber again babe can you finish him real quick <laughs> oh no bill no that's not what they mean as he's, as he's eating ass <laughs> bill clinton fatality is you just you execute a mentally ill man <laughs> he just pulls the, the fucking flick of the wrist is, uh, signature he pulls lord raiden into fucking just pulls oh. the spine right out of a black prisoner <laughs> Oh, fatality. Fuck. <laughs> fatality. I can't even do the, the, the Bill Clinton. Fatality. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Let me be clear. Fatality. It's Obama. You're right, fatality. though. We do have to work on a Biden impression. Well, that's the I fucking... I just want to keep saying... That's the Let problem. Let me be clear, right? Like, Anytime someone well, he gains, says, like, a public thing, especially the presidency, everyone has to figure out their impression. And uh, Nick actually talks about this on Comptown a lot. This is actually one of his, like, comedic insights that is kind of interesting, which is that, like, for the first... 90 hours no one knows how to do it at all and then someone cracks it and once they crack it everyone else uses that thing that they just figured out and then it leads it leads it to like into this abstract realm where you can do a Trump that doesn't actually sound anything like Trump mm -hmm. but everyone yeah. understands this is an impression like of the, Trump like uh, the Dana Carvey impression of uh, George H.W. Bush on Saturday Night Live in the 90s right? It sounds nothing like him <laughs> nothing like him at all but everyone understands that it's like Essence. it's yeah. somehow related to him so like Biden God if for any reason don't vote for Biden because I don't want to have to figure this shit out <laughs> yeah. man the comedian's burden he's already an independent contractor folks don't make them do it <laughs> we should yeah well comedians can organize against having to do a biden impression how about literally. that huh he says literally and folks a lot but our, trump already says folks yeah it's just like trump yeah he's just a shitty old yeah you know gregarious fucking uncle smelly type he smells people <laughs> maybe that's it the impression is that you smell people i don't know lots of sniffing that's yeah yeah. I had to, full disclosure, do a Biden impression on the last paid protest, but I didn't say anything. I just, like, uh, sniffed Alex. <laughs> you slowly moved up Patek. behind him and grabbed, like, caressed his yeah. shoulders and grabbed like his that. hair. Alex Patak. Yeah. Mm -hmm. but his shoulders. body language is, yeah. <laughs> Alex Patak is just sitting on your knee for a photo op. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that was pretty good. Yeah? You guys want to call it? 
Um, what are we at? Or you want to do something? Uh, do Ukraine or whatever? I don't yeah, we're like an hour twenty. I think we could probably. Oh, yeah. yeah, that was good. That was good. I think we had a good encapsulated. Uh, kept on. Yeah, on that shit. Little uh, couple of different interesting arcs in there. Yeah, a lot of labor stuff. Nah, fuck I'm it. Into it. Um, yo, uh, plugs all around. I, uh, you know me. I will be performing this Friday on. Uh, the Katie Hopper Show slash Struggle Session at Little Field in uh, South Brooklyn. I'll be doing stand-up to open the show, and then I'll be annoying Matt to be the rest of the show. <laughs> um, also, uh, come check out some live stand-up uh, at my show. It's called Yoko. It's at El Cortez in Bushwick. If you live in New York, uh, we'll be advertising a lot more recently. We just hired a producer. I'm going on tour soon. I'll be in Boston on the 17th of this month, so uh, I'll keep track. I'll post all my uh, details and stuff. Um, I'll put my pin tweet in my website. That's it. Anybody else? Uh, May 24th, we're doing another paid protest at Mayday Space. We're raising money for uh, DSA's Socialist Feminist Caucus. Um, There's going to be some great... Comics on the lineup, we have Kenise Mobley, uh, Katie Hannigan, who was on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Doors at 7, show at 7.30. Uh, is this going to be out before the live show tomorrow, or? Uh, Probably not, right? Saturday? Go ahead and plug it, and then I'll yeah. edit it accordingly. So, uh, yeah, the, the live show that Jake was referring to, my partner in more ways than one, Jamie Peck, will also be guesting at that. So Littlefield, Brooklyn, 8 p.m., on Friday. Additionally, um, I and perhaps Jamie will be doing a live stream with the YouTube channel The Surfs at uh, 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on Saturday. We're going to be talking about uh, politics and political economy and all sorts of fun stuff. So you can check that out at uh, The Surfs on YouTube. And lastly, The Antifada. Uh, We have a podcast. Uh, This kind of shit that we talk with uh, Jake and Anders, we do that ourselves all the time. Not always with them, but sometimes with them. We have uh, the regular show, and now we have Prolet Cult, which is AP Andy's um, side project, part of our project, which is parapolitics, the parasocial, and the paranormal from a materialist, Marxist, communist perspective. You don't want to miss it. Mm. And I would also say, too, that uh, become a patron today because in the next couple of weeks, there will be another History as a Weapon, number four, with Matt Crisman about the crisis of capitalism in the 1970s. Check it out, folks. I love those. Those are my favorite Antifaud episodes. They're coming back in a big way. You guys are so smart. It it melts my brain. Sorry if I turn this into as a history as a weapon. I always go back to my history bullshit. I'm always on my shit. That's why why we love you, baby. (laughs) Likewise, guys. Always a pleasure. Yeah, yeah. Um, See you in the club. (laughs) (laughs) All right, that'll do. Thanks, y'all.